welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Let's just have a look at Matthew 28, verse 18. And this is the last few verses in the book of Matthew. This is basically the the last words that are recorded um, of Jesus before he ascends to the Father. This is like his his last commands or his his mission brief for all of us as his sons and daughters. And this is what he said. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of Of all the nations, other translations say, make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Three things that are really important there. Go and make disciples. And he says, baptize them, which as Christy was sharing, it's a big deal. It's a public declaration of our surrendering our lives to Jesus. And if you haven't done that before, um, we, we at the moment, we do it every month if, if people are keen. Um, it's so important. And then he said, train up or, or teach these new believers in, in my way. So that's like three different message series, but I'm just going to focus on the first verse here. It says, go and make disciples. This is the command. This is the mission of every believer to go and make disciples. It's not something for just the elite super spiritual people uh, or the the leaders or the pastors or those that are really onto it. This is Jesus' command for all of us to go and make disciples. We are all responsible for that. Every single one of us. We can't think of ourselves and think, well, that doesn't count for me. Maybe that person over there, they've got it all together. Maybe they're called, uh, but not me. Now, all of us are called to do this. This is God's plan for mankind. This is His command for us as His followers to go and make disciples. He never gave this command to His angels. He never gave this command to His Holy Spirit even. He gave this command to us to go and transform the world. How? By going and making disciples. So we're going to be looking at that this morning and breaking this into two halves. The first part, I want to talk about this. To make disciples, you must first be a disciple. To make disciples, and we know the command, go and make disciples. To make disciples, we have got to first be disciples. You can teach what you know, but you can only reproduce what you are. I could uh, maybe do a class on, on Paris and... Uh, you know, I could Google up about what Paris is like and the population and the landmarks and stuff, but you know, I could teach that, but I could have no, there could be no unreal understanding. But if I went to Paris and if I smelt the smells and ate the food and reacted with all the people, and there would be something completely different about that. We can't necessarily or really teach discipleship, but we make disciples. It's all about influence. It is all about community. I would go as far as to say we can't actually go and make disciples unless we are in a faith community. Go and make disciples. What is this word disciple? You you sort of don't hear it much these days. Uh, In the Bible, uh, the Greek is mathetes, and it simply means apprentice or devoted follower. Or if you're a Star Wars fan, padawan. 
So you get the idea. This is what this word disciple means. Someone who is a devoted follower, uh, someone who is an apprentice. The dictionary says one who actively embraces and assists in spreading the teachings of another, one who is committed to that, one who is actively involved. And as we go on, you will understand, go and make. They're both action verbs. They're both doing words. Now you can believe in Jesus and not necessarily be a disciple of Jesus. We are called to go and make disciples. To make disciples, you must first be a disciple. So let's just have a look at the disciples, how they were called and how they lived. In Matthew 4, verse 18, 22. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. That's a, a specific phrase. Other translations, come be my disciple. Come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. I keep wondering, was the boat in the water at that time? Well, they do just jump out and swim to shore. But it, it, it paints an interesting picture. Jesus comes along, come be my disciples. And then what did these guys do? Like turn around like zombies and, and, and follow. What, what, what was it about that phrase that Jesus said, come follow me, that caused these guys to leave everything and follow Jesus into the unknown? To, to understand that, we sort of have to have a little bit of a history, a um, little bit. Uh, a session about uh, the synagogues and how education happened in those days. Every Jewish boy from age six to 10 attended the school of the book. I'm not even gonna try and pronounce that in, in, in the Hebrew. It translates the school of the book at the local synagogue every day, most days. By the age 10, most of them had memorized the first five books of the Bible. That's how they, they learned to read. That's how they learned to write. The, the Torah, the Word of God, was totally uh, central to everything. So by age 10, if you were really good, you would have learned the first five books, the Pentateuch. From ages 10 to 14, they attended the House of Learning. And by 14, they were expected to have memorized most of the Hebrew Scriptures, 24 books of the Old Testament. You think you've got it hard with homework at school. If you were the best. So this, this was their life. They knew a lot of the Word of God. So around 14, if you showed incredible promise, if you were intelligent, if you were the best of the best and the very, the, the most prized occupation, the most coveted uh, thing to do in your life was to be a disciple of a rabbi and then become a rabbi yourself in those days. So if you were the best, you would present yourself to a well-known and respected rabbi that you liked and you would ask to be their disciple. Each rabbi had a different philosophy, a different way of learning, a different sort of interpretation of scriptures and that was called their yoke interesting term. So every rabbi had a different yoke. And if you really liked the rabbi's yoke, and if you, if you liked, you know, wanted to be like him, you would go and you would ask to be his disciple. And then this rabbi would sort of quiz you on a whole lot of things. And if he believed that you were the best of the best, he would say something incredible. These words, come follow me. And then you would know if you were a young Jewish boy, I'm 
I've made the cut. I'm the best of the best. This guy sees me and, and knows that I, I'm able, I've got the potential to do what he does. I've, I've, I've got that in me. And, and it would be the greatest thing you've ever heard. And you would gladly leave everything, your home, your family, and you would become a disciple of that rabbi. You would follow in his footsteps. And you'd follow so close to him that they used to say, uh, following in the dust of your rabbi would mean that you were super committed to him. That's if you were the best of the best. That's if you made the cut. But if you didn't, you would go and say, can I be your disciple? And then the, the rabbi would quiz you, and then he would probably say, well, you're not going to be my rabbi. Maybe go home, and when you get married, have babies, and maybe they'll become disciples. Go and start or follow in your father's footsteps. If he's, a, if he's a fisherman, go and follow in his footsteps if you weren't good enough. So with that in mind, the day that Jesus came and talked and called the disciples. You know, he was called rabbi like 11 times in the New Testament. He was called teacher. He was only called carpenter once. So he was recognized as a rabbi, and he goes to these fishermen. Obviously, they were synagogue dropouts at some stage. They had gone through that. They probably knew some, but they just didn't make the cut. They weren't good enough. Maybe they just thought, well, I just haven't got what it takes. I'm just going to become a fisherman. Or maybe they were passionate to follow in a rabbi's footstep, and they were rejected. Either way, they were dropouts. They weren't the best of the best. They didn't go to Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, goes to them. And He says, come be my disciple. Follow me. What was He really saying? You've got what it takes. You've got what it takes to do what I do. You've got what it takes to carry my yoke. You've got what it takes to teach what I teach and do what I do. Maybe other people have rejected you, but I trust in you and I have complete faith that you can do it. You can follow in my footsteps. You can do what I do. Come follow me. No wonder they dropped everything and followed Jesus. Guess what? Jesus is saying the same thing to you and I today. Every single one of us, you might be thinking, well, I've got issues on my issues and I've got this problem and I'm broken and this attitude struggle and this. You've got what it takes. You've got what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow in his footsteps, to carry on his mandate. Isn't that so encouraging? Let's have a look at Acts 4 verse 7 of 14 some of the characteristics of the disciples. The next day, many Jewish leaders, religious scholars and elders of the people convened a meeting in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there and with Caiaphas, John, Alexander and the others who were members of the high priest's family. They made Peter and John stand in front of the council as they questioned him saying, tell us by what power and authority have you done these things? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, answered, respected elders and leaders of the people, listen. Are we being put on trial today for doing an act of kindness by healing a frail, crippled man? Well then, you and everyone else in Israel should know that it is by the power of the name of Jesus that the crippled man stands here today completely healed. You crucified Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but God raised him from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that you, the builders, have rejected and now has become the cornerstone. There is no one else who has the power to save us, for there is only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation. The name of Jesus. We can all be saved in Jesus. The council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had religious training. 
Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Standing there with them was the healed man, and there was nothing further they could say. Just a couple of characteristics here of a disciple. Number one, filled with the Holy Spirit. And we did a few weeks on that. We can't live this life as Christians without the power of God in us. And we all have the Holy Spirit, but how much of us does the Holy Spirit have? We should be passionate and hungry for everything we can have. Last week in the second service, it was amazing. Chris called people to come forward if they had a hunger to, to, to move in the power of God. And so many people came forward. So many people didn't come forward. But we, every single uh, time, let's just be so excited and expectant and say, God, I need more of you. I want more of you. I want to flow in more of your power. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter could not have done this unless he was filled with the Holy Spirit. They were courageous. A sign of a courageous person is someone who feels fear, recognizes fear, but still goes on to do what he or she believes is right. It's doing it afraid. Ordinary. Like I said, the disciples were high school, sorry, synagogue dropouts. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. Brothers and sisters, consider who you were when God called you to salvation. Not many of you were wise scholars by human standards, nor were many of you in positions of power. Not many of you were considered the elite when you answered God's call. But God chose those whom the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the puny and powerless to shame the high and mighty. He chose the lowly, the laughable in the world's eyes. Nobody's. Have you ever been laughed at? So that he would shame the somebodies. For he chose what is regarded as insignificant in order to supersede that which is regarded as prominent. So that there would be no place for prideful boasting in God's presence. The disciples were ordinary. They were like you and I. They, they were considered nobodies of society. They were, had been laughed at. There wasn't anything special about them. You may be sitting here this morning or listening and thinking, Simon, you're talking to me. That means you qualify. You absolutely qualify. We all qualify. Because in God's hands, He can take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. And I love this. It says, when you first came, that is what some of you were like. God never leaves us like that. And as we follow in his footsteps, we become confident and we become competent and he gives us these incredible spiritual gifts and we grow in security in him. You know, the disciples were always going from level to level. They never plateaued. And I think one of the saddest things is when you had, a, had a, someone who's a believer in Jesus and they've been in the same place for like 50 years. We don't have to be like that. We all qualify. And it said, they had been with Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus. Christianity is first and foremost about a relationship with Jesus. And as you spend time with Jesus, you start to love what Jesus loves. And what breaks Jesus' heart, it starts to break your heart. And, and you start to love everything that Jesus held dear. Jesus loved the church. Start loving the church. Jesus wanted to help the broken, and we want to start to help the broken, it all comes from spending time with Jesus. But there is a cost to all of this, and you hardly hear about this um, at altar calls. Um, Luke 14, 25 onwards. As massive crowds followed Jesus, 
he turned to them and said, When you follow me as my disciple, you must put aside your father and your mother and your wife, your sisters and your brothers. It will even seem as though you hate your own life. This is the price you'll pay to be considered one of my followers. Anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own, or he cannot be considered to be my disciple. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost you. For who would construct a house before first sitting down to estimate the cost to complete it? Likewise, this is in verse 33, unless you surrender all to me, giving up all you possess, you cannot be one of my disciples. Now that's pretty heavy duty. You know, some people get upset with the principle of tithing, giving 10% of our income to the Lord. But if you read this, it says, surrender everything, (laughs) our whole entire lives. That is the cost of being a disciple, which, which means, you know, we can follow him. There was a huge crowd following Jesus because everyone likes a spectacle. Everyone likes when there's a a, a vibe and energy about a crowd. So you can be a believer in Jesus. Like I said, not necessarily a disciple of Jesus. I don't necessarily think believers in Jesus will change the world, but I know disciples of Jesus will transform the world because that is the mission that Jesus gave us. Go and make disciples. That's his plan, eh? For seeing this world restored, And what would our churches be like if we were all disciples and not simply just believers? And Jesus wasn't after decisions. He wasn't after the the hype. He was after disciples. That verse doesn't say go and make decisions or go and make great churches or go and make a great name for yourself. It says go and make disciples. I was listening to this phenomenal pastor apostle um, on on a Zoom call was it last week or the week before? And in his first, because it was a gifted evangelist, in his first year of planting a church, he saw 1,000 first-time decisions. Now, I haven't worked out the mass. I don't know how many that is a week. Is it like 20 a week? I don't know. Uh, maybe not. I'm not sure. I'm not good at maths. Uh, but that's incredible. And, and he thought he was sort of like a big hotshot with that. Because uh, evangelists, they talk about the weather and people get saved. It's just like a gifting on their life. But he came to realize, and God deeply convicted him, but in the, in the second year, his church had hardly grown at all. He says barely any of those decisions had become disciples. And it really changed the way he did ministry. Go and make disciples. So to first make disciples, you've got to first be a disciples. Last part. Number two, you are called to go. You are all called to go and make disciples. Go is an action verb. It's a doing verb. It demands movement. And make is also a verb. It demands action. You can't be passive and go and make disciples. It involves movement. Every single one of us, it involves commitment. It involves passion. And you know, we're all called to go out into this world and make disciples, but I think an incredible place where we first learn to do that is here at church. Because if we can't make disciples here, how on earth are we going to make disciples of all nations? So everything then about church should be about making disciples. This church should be a disciple-making factory. Everything we do here at church should be about making disciples disciples, because that is the mission that Jesus gave us. 
I don't know if you've seen the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. Um, the old one's better than the new one with Gene Wilder. That's classic. Um, except like the riverboat scene. That was a little bit weird. Uh, but, but everything about the chocolate factory is about one thing, making chocolate. Everything about church should be about making disciples, obviously glorifying God, but us growing in our relationship with Him and us having more of an impact on others that people make the next step. So if there is anything happening here that doesn't make disciples, we need to have a good look at that. And sometimes we just over-program ourselves and there's a whole lot of stuff going on, but really at the end of the day, is it fruitful in making disciples? 1 Corinthians 3, when one of you says, I follow, am a follower of Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I love that. Each one of us here, all of us here, have a specific call, work for God that God wants us to do. And then Paul says, I planted the seeds in your heart. So his ministry was seed planting and Apollos water it. So obviously he was probably a teacher, but it was God who made it grow. It is not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Basically, what is important is that disciples are getting made. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work for we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. Every single one of us should be a part of the disciple making process. And every single one of us that is, we share in the rewards of seeing people get saved and secure in God, and then they in turn go and make disciples. Every single one of us should be involved in that, here and in, this, in, in, in culture. I don't think that really you can be committed and active and uh, in, in church in the way that Jesus intended church to be by just coming along and just hearing a great message and enjoying the worship and then having great coffee and going home. There is so much more to that. And we've all got a part to play. We are all responsible. Jesus said, go and make disciples. All of us are included. And no one's more special than others. Every one of us has a different part to play. So with Life here at Renew Church. Someone said yes to God. Someone got to know someone. Someone prayed for someone. Someone invited someone. Someone picked someone up. Someone organized. Someone volunteered. Someone used social media. Someone prepared the kids program. Someone prepared a message. Someone went to rehearsal. Someone unlocked the building. Someone prayed for the service. Someone uploaded the Bible verses. Someone welcomed at the door. Someone played the drums. Someone mixed the sound. Someone introduced themselves to someone new. Someone led worship. Someone listened someone connected, someone preached, someone gave the opportunity, someone said yes to God. Someone prayed for someone's healing, someone made coffee, someone answered questions at the info desk, someone made a newcomer feel at home, someone invited someone home for lunch, someone shared the message on social media, someone uploaded the podcast, someone opened their home for a connect group, someone got to know someone, someone prayed for someone, someone invited someone, someone said yes to God, and every single one of those people play a part. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting to know that we can start to do something right here, right now that is of eternal value in someone else's life? 
And as we become mature and as we keep growing in God, then we take what we've learned here every week and go out and apply it to where God has called us to be in society. Go and make disciples. It doesn't say sit on your butt and make disciples. Sorry for saying that word. And I, I talk with pastors and there is such a huge growing frustration because pastors pour their hearts out and their lives out every week and their passion is to see their cities transformed. And there is a growing frustration that people sort of stay home from church now and they're, they're believers but not necessarily disciples. They aren't getting serious about the, the plans and the purposes of God. I'm not saying that to condemn anyone but I'm just saying what could be happening in this city if our churches became disciple-making factories and not places where people, believers just come and listen to a good word. Let's have the keyboardist up. Maybe are saying, Simon, this is a bit freaky. This is pretty hard, hard to take. Matthew eleven twenty eight, and I love this. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Remember we talked about yoke? Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. When we discover our place in the disciple-making process, there is such a grace upon that. There is such an ease upon that. There is a, a, a supernatural component that you are in the middle of God's will, you're using your, your giftings and your personality and, and your calling to do things of eternal value. And, and there is such a, a pocket of, of supernaturalness about that. I, I found in my life, whenever it starts to get stressful and, and difficult, I've stepped a little bit out of that grace and I'm listening to other people's uh, yokes for me and not Jesus' yoke. So Jesus' yoke is so easy. Now, because we're all following someone, we're all disciples of someone. Jesus is saying, my yoke is so easy. I give you life, I give you freedom, I give you forgiveness. So if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, it's, it's the most amazing thing in the whole of the universe. Your soul is saved and set free. And then you start this incredible life of, of wonder and doing incredible things for God, knowing that, what you do is of eternal value. So I've got a, a few challenges before we finish. Are you a believer or are you a disciple? Do you have the characteristics of a disciple, filled with the Holy Spirit, courageous, ordinary, but spending time with Jesus? Who's discipling you and who are you discipling? See, I really do think that uh, we as a church, and we're in the process of this, should make it simple to show everyone what their next step is, whether it's becoming baptized or, or seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you know, getting some things sorted out in your life or learning more about the Bible or, or discovering your giftings and, and starting to serve others. You know, we, there is always a next step that every single one of us can take. And that's one of the foundational passions behind the night school is so that we can release people in those, that people can learn about this. Are you ready to become part of the disciple-making process? Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, 
renewchurch.nz.